you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Season with Peter Schrager. Uh, We are in the beginning of June, so you might say, not much football going on, but there is. There is. Uh, the Chiefs are at the White House as we speak. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a free agent as we speak. Dalvin Cook is uh, potentially going to be moving, but yet is still a Minnesota Viking as we speak. But I had a really cool weekend and an opportunity to speak with uh, two of the biggest stars in the NFL, amongst many other stars, some of them being previous guests on this very podcast. So a couple years back, um, when I became pretty close with Paul Rudd, who we've had on the show. He invited me to come to an event um, held every year in Kansas City called the Big Slick KC. And I saw it as a cool opportunity to play uh, in a celebrity softball game. I've never been invited to do anything like that. I've never considered myself a celebrity. Uh, I said, that'd be neat. What I didn't realize is that it's um, one of the coolest... I guess, impactful weekends of the year for me. And every year it hits me in a different way. And it's because they use all the money and they raise all the awareness and they do this amazing auction and they sell tickets to an amazing show. And it all goes to Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. And on Saturday morning of the weekend, you visit the hospital. And what you're meeting uh, is, is just right in your face. And it's kids who are coping with cancer and you're visiting with them going room to room and in your groups you're with some of the biggest entertainers in the world but you're also with some amazing athletes um and just people that have you know rare skills that can make a kid's day so in my group uh heidi gardner who is on snl and is one of the main organizers of the group we did it last year together she she's just amazing this comedian, Sarah Tiana, who you've probably seen before. She's hilarious. She was awesome and was so good with the kids. And these two twin brothers, the Potash twins, who if you don't know their work, they one of them plays, oh, I'm going to get them. One of them plays trumpet. Maybe they both play trumpet. I don't know. The other one plays, what's, hey, Aaron, you're listening. What's the slide one? The trombone? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not a great gift to go out there. Um, Adiv is trumpet. El- Ezra is the trombone. These kids are awesome. They're like 30 from Omaha, Nebraska, two twin brothers. And they've performed with everybody in like jazz and in that that world. But as all- they've also been featured on countless different... Um, they've worked with Drake. They've worked with Flo Rider. They've worked with just about everybody. And they, they used to be in like John Batiste's opening band. Like just... And so we'd go around and we were meeting with these kids and it's life-changing for me. It's unbelievable. It's a smack in the face. I just had a kid. Um, you see what these parents are going through. You see what these nurses and doctors do. And most probably see what these kids are going through. So over the course of the weekend with the various auction items and selling tickets, we raised more than $3 million over three days, which is the coolest thing. Um, you want a list of the celebrities? Okay, I'll go there. Um, so it's Paul Rudd. 
Jason Sudeikis, Eric Stone Street, Rob Riggle, David Keckner, Heidi Gardner. They organize it. And then I get to know, you're with these people for 72 hours, really. So you get to know um, all the other people that come in for it. And I, I really had a blast. Like I'd never met the comedian Will Forte before. Aaron, Will Forte is unbelievable. Obviously, we love him from Saturday Night Live and MacGruber. Um, he's a Raiders fan. He loves football. He's amazing. How about this kid? And I sound so old and so like, you know, not not out of my waters here, but uh, Finn Wolfhard or Wolfhard? How am I? Wolfhard. He's Wolfhard? from Stranger Things, Stranger but Things also kid. in the yeah. Ghostbusters with Rudd. I talked to him for an hour about the Seahawks. This dude is an incredibly talented actor, but also a musician and knows his Seahawks inside and out because he was from Vancouver and he loves football. Um, you go down the list here, you know, Bobby Cannavale, Joe Latriglia, um, you know, Dylan Baker. These are, these are like legends that I've been watching for years and they're all hanging. And then I meet Weird Al Yankovic, who I'm like, all right, Weird Al Yankovic is a childhood, um, I would say not hero, but like my brother and I would listen to Weird Al, every album, know every track. Like this is before Sandler did his CDs, probably, like, probably after like Steve Martin and his, you know, CDs and, uh, you know, long after Bob Newhart and his stuff, but like the Weird Al albums, like I could tell you 30 songs by heart that I used to love. And you're talking to him and I'm like, do I call you Weird Al or do I call you Al? He's like, just call me Al. And he's awesome. He's awesome. And then obviously, uh, you know, the, the grand Pumbaa, two, two big showcase, uh, items were Kelsey and Mahomes who, Aaron, I got to hang out with Kelsey and Mahomes for hours at a time in like an intimate setting. And they're unbelievable. They're awesome guys. And it's funny because Mahomes, and again, we're always cognizant of the aggregators. I don't know where this story will go. Mahomes and I are talking ball for a while. And then we're talking, you know, stuff that's probably not for air about the Chiefs and what's going on in that organization and what they're what what young players he's excited for. And you know, I then I get to, you know, the other people in the room and you know, I Weird Al's there, and I'm like, you obviously love Weird Al Yankovic. And he's like, you know, I know, I recognize the name. Recognize, I'm not familiar. With it. I'm like, oh, like that. I'm an old, I'm an old F you, you know, I'm an old man. Uh, I, I, Mahomes was born in the nineties. He has no feel for Weird Al Yankovic. Then we're on stage and I'm sitting next to Mahomes and it's cool how the setup is. There's all these different performers. So over the course of the night, um, this guy, Logan Mize, who's a country singer and is awesome. Just a great dude. Uh, David Cook from American Idol, Chris Daughtry from American Idol. Um, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish Mabo, currently one of the biggest acts in, in country, obviously, and the uh, singer of Wagon Wheel. He's there. But in the middle of it is Weird Al, and Weird Al steals the show. Weird Al steals the show, and I'm sitting next to Mahomes, and I'm like, you get it now? He's like, oh, this guy's amazing. This guy's unbelievable. And I just love the idea of like me introducing Patrick Mahomes to Weird Al Yankovic. Like, they're in, 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 in the craziest mad libs of uh, celebrity film, the blank, world's greatest football player, unfamiliar with Weird Al Yankovic, and Peter Schrager is showing him the ropes and teaching him about songs like Eat It and uh, I Lost in I Lost in Jeff. Jeopardy. Uh, great songs. Anyway, Weird Al Yankovic was amazing. Uh, go down the list some more. Jake Tapper from CNN. I never met him, but I've been seeing him on my TV for years. Diehard Eagles fan. Great dude. Um, all right. Sean Evans, the host of Hot Ones. We did this together last year. We became friends. We text all the time. I think Sean and I might be uh, just like the same person, just except Sean does his celebrity interviews and I do mine in football. We have the same likes, the same everything. And then our Venn diagram that's completely shaded is a gentleman named Richard Christie. Aaron, does Richard Christie's name mean anything to you? Not at all. 
Okay. So I, I'm not shocked. Richard Christie, I would say he's a staff member slash whack pack member slash the greatest prank phone caller in the history of time from the Howard Stern show. And Richard has a long library of disgusting bits and stuff that I wouldn't feel comfortable even sharing on this iHeart podcast that has made me cry over the years and just how disgusting his bits are. And yet he's also the most genius prank call magician, maybe since the Jerky Boys. So Richard Christie's there. Sean and I sat with Richard Christie on Friday night as we're having a few cocktails slash a dozen beers. Um, and he's going through his greatest prank calls and his inspirations and how they come about. And I, I could do a documentary on like the, the, the nucleus of a great prank phone call. And Richard Christie, of course, is the master of them all. And Sean and I are just like, you know, at his, on his knee, like listening, like two kids at like the, at the campfire to, to like a, a great mentor teaching us the ropes. Um, Sean Evans is, I think I've said this, uh, and I'm not looking to be on a show. I love this because he was telling me that like people like pitch themselves on a show and they're not they're not necessarily a list and it's always a very awkward conversation. <laughs> and I'm like I'm so glad I'm never like pitching myself to it. Um, I think it goes like for me personally, Howard Stern as far as celebrity interviewer goes. Um, Letterman because he was so off kilter in his ways. He didn't like worship the the guest. Uh, I really do. Uh, you know, I think Mark Maron's a great celebrity interviewer as much as people want to knock him and some of his own, you know, whatever it is in his way about going it. And then I think it's Sean Evans for this generation. And if you're not familiar with Hot Ones, it's so hard to explain. Like Jason McCourty wasn't familiar with it. So I was trying to explain it to him today on Good Morning Football off camera. And I'm like, so there's a gimmick and the gimmick is you, there's 10 hot wings and you're asking 10 questions as you eat wings that get increasingly hotter and hotter and hotter. And by the end, the, the interviewee is sweating and they're all out of sorts. And and like, and he's like, oh, it's kind of like that like potato chip, hot chip challenge. I'm like, no, I hate that. It's like limited. Aaron, you've, li you've watched all the hot ones, right? Like, like, he's an incredible. Um, not all of them, but yeah, I've seen. But like most of them, right? Like, first of all, I, I would say this, hot ones is the equivalent now of like being on the cover of GQ magazine or Vanity Fair in the two, early 2000s or like, you know, the cover of Esquire, there's a spread, there's an art of Vogue. Like those don't really exist in the same way they used to. No one's like buying, you know, Vogue to read the big interview anymore or buying GQ to read the big interview. But back when I was starting off as a writer, like you do one celebrity profile when you're promoting a movie and you do it with one of these men's magazines and that's just what it would be and you do it and then you get the access to it. That's what Sean Evans' show is now. I mean, this week I just looked. He's got Julia Louis-Dreyfus, so I don't see doing a ton of, you know, last mm -hmm. week was Sudeikis as Ted Lasso was doing their finale. He had um, Paul Rudd, obviously, Matt Damon, Jake Gyllenhaal. And like, they're the greatest interviews. They're the greatest interviews we've got right now. And I'm not, you know, at all advertising or doing a commercial, but to hang with Sean, like he's cool. He's a cool dude. And that event, the big slick is a great opportunity to get to know people like this. And Oh, by the way, diehard bears fan who is all in on Justin Fields and his buddy, Nick, who he brought as his guest and we were hanging the whole time. It's a diehard bears fan who's all in on Justin Fields. And if the two of them are at all symbolic of Bears fans right now. We might as well cancel the season and just have the parade and put the gold jacket on Justin Darn Fields. Like the, the amount of Bears fans who, you know, I did a list of like breakout players. I didn't, or something. And I, on the show, I didn't put Justin Fields. Like 
the Justin Fields hype is out of control right now. And maybe I'm proven wrong. And then I'm saying, let's temper it for a second. Long story short, Sean Evans, diehard Bears fan, knows his stuff. Um, and Big Slick, they, as a whole, raised $3 million this weekend, but over the course of 14 years have raised $21 million for a children's hospital. Uh, real quick, before we get to our guest, I will tell you that Patrick Mahomes made the greatest play I've ever seen in a baseball, softball, t-ball game and he did it and let me set the context for you you've got all these actors and comedians and like you know there's a couple guys who might have played college athletics at some point there's a few who maybe play in a men's softball league patrick mahomes might be the greatest athlete living right now so it's a bunch of third theater nerds um more or less and patrick mahomes playing softball so you'd think he would take it easy mahomes hit a home run didn't have to do that to show everybody up but he did um, and then there was a ground ball. The ball, I want to say, was hit by Eric Stone Street, who we've had on the show and is just a lovely guy and great ambassador for Kansas City and the Big Slick. It's a dribbler to third base. Mahomes picks it up, throws a softball behind the back from the third base line to first base, where I believe Bobby Cannavale, the actor, was playing first base. Throws it on a rope. And you can Google this. You can look for it online right now. Mahomes throws it perfectly, and it's a behind-the-back flip, 90 yards, whatever, 90 or 90 feet, whatever it is, from third base to first. It's on a rope. He throws out Stone Street, and everyone's just like, oh, Mahomes. It's insane. It is an insane athletic play I've never seen before. Imagine throwing a softball. Softball is not a baseball. A softball behind your back, 90 feet, 60 feet, whatever third to first is on a rope. Um, and he did that. And so after the next night we're hanging out backstage and I got a lot of time with Patrick. He was cool. And I was like, I'm like, you realize you didn't, you didn't look like you pick up the ball and in one motion, you throw it. Like that's an insane thing to do athletically. It's, it's just not normal. And he's like, and I'm going to do my Mahomes voice, but he's like, yeah, you know, if I, if I, you know, if I threw it into the stands, it, we would all laughed about it. So I figure why not? I went for it. Yeah. yeah. Why not? I went for it as if, as, as if it's the easiest thing Like in a hundred tries, I could not have done what Mahomes did, uh, with that flip over behind the back. And yet he, he nails it. He throws him out. Uh, Mahomes and Kelsey hung for like five hours on Saturday night and they were just great. Kelsey did hot ones challenge. He was sweating his face off and just eating the hottest wings. And I can't say enough about those two guys. What great ambassadors for the sport. Two awesome young men. And I had an amazing weekend. I, Mahomes had a good point. We were talking for a while. Again, I feel like I'm his you know, biographer at this point because we hung out one night. Um, he's like, I'm not sure this could work in LA or New York or... And, Kansas City special. You've got a this great celebrity core that these guys all love to give back, but also like the city really, really, really you know rallies around causes like this. And for they sold out an arena for this Saturday night event, and for all these different celebrities, Darius Rucker was on a. I we do the thing, and there's like a little post party, and post party went longer for others than they did for me. And I take the elevator down from the post party with with Darius Rucker, who I'm like, oh my god, like I'm in an elevator, just to, you know, me, him, and his guys from his band. And I'm like, I'm going to bed. What are you doing? And he's like, uh, Oh, we're hopping in the tour bus. We've got a show in Nashville tomorrow. And like for him on his one night off to be in Kansas City, but that's kind of what Kansas City is. It attracts these people to come, and those fans are amazing. So. 
as I go on and on about why the Kansas City Chiefs fans are the greatest thing and why Kansas City is the most amazing city, I record this from New York City, where I would never leave in a million years if I didn't have to, because I'm a New Yorker. But uh, if there's a second city I can say I can call uh, home in a weird way, I do love that Kansas City, Missouri. All right. We've got an awesome guest. I'm so excited for it. I've got a backstory. I'll share it with you once we get him on. But uh, right after this, one of the icons of comedy and acting over the last 30 to 40 years and uh, truly an awesome dude. The great Hank Azaria joins us after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap, fresh, green, Irish shop now at a store near you. As I said in the monologue, I've been a fan of this man for many, many years. You know him from The Simpsons, from The Birdcage, and now he's got this new amazing program uh, on HBO called The Idol, which I want to hear all about. But more than anything, I just want to geek out with him because he's a New York sports fan. Hank Azario, welcome to the season with Peter Schrager. Thank you, Peter. Very happy to be here. I've told you uh, in person and now through Zoom and now in front of everybody, I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm excited to join you as a sports fan. And just as a, just as a human being as well. I am a uh, I am a great purveyor of of pop culture and sports. So it, it, can I share where we saw each other in the most amazing of situations? I'm yeah. jogging. So if you if you know me and you see me, I'm not in shape. I'm trying to get in shape. So I was jogging one morning, like putting on a farce that I'm going to suddenly be the guy who runs around Brooklyn Heights, <laughs> and I'm running and. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Hank Azaria. And I'm like, it was eight in the morning. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. I love this guy. Do I stop? Do I keep on going and listen to my Mark Marin podcast as I'm running around the block? Or, <laughs> or do I just... Uh, and then Hank gives me the nod. And I'm like, I got to stop. We had an awesome short conversation. But I didn't even know you lived in New York. I love the fact you're a New Yorker. I grew up in Queens, moved back here 10 years ago. I had seen you a little before, just from a distance at the Nick Gad, one of the Nick playoff games, one that they won. Um, so yeah, and I've been, you know, I know, I know you anywhere. I've been a fan for a long time. The Knicks thing was cool because Joe Shane, the GM of the Giants was there and he was sitting, I guess, a row in front of you. And I go and say hi to Joe and Mike Breen starts coming up from the stands. And I think Mike Breen's making a gesture to say hi to me. And I geek, I was about to geek out about, he blows right past me and I look behind me and there's Hank Azaria that Mike Breen is saying hello to him. I'm like, all right, that's humbling. That's fine. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> Love Mike Breen also. I've been chatting with him for years at Nick games and elsewhere. Awesome voice. Uh, the move to New York, you were in California for years, I'm sure, because I'm raising a kid in New York now too. Um, and it's a fight every day. And yet I'm trying to grit it out. Like, why did you move back to New York from, from LA after all those years? One of the reasons was you mentioned kids. I, I really didn't want to raise my son in the midst of show business, which you can't avoid in Los Angeles. There's, there's just no way. So I wanted him to have a more eclectic, a more, uh, you know, varied look at humanity than just through the lens of people who work in show business. Yeah. And there's anything wrong with those people, but no. it's really only one province heard from. 
And um, this sounds like a joke, and it kind of is. It's only half a joke. I, I wanted to raise a Mets fan. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. I love just that. so <laughs> that I have support for this in my old age. And even in doing that, and it's worked. I have a Mets fan. He's about to be four, 14 tomorrow, in fact. Oh, congrats. I'd say twice a year, though, all through his childhood, he has come to me very earnestly yeah. and said, Dad, are you sure we can't be Yankee fans? Yeah. I'm like, it's a very smart question. I don't blame you for asking it, but no, sadly we can't. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and the Mets this year, everyone picking them before the season to win the World Series. They actually got hot again, but it's so funny. I'm like, all my Mets fans, I'm like, are you guys seriously buying in? I mean, you know something, and sure enough, they start the season, just a million things go wrong, but that's the life and the ethos of being a Mets fan. Yeah, I'm Mets, Jets, Knicks, so I hear it from three corners. <laughs> I'm I'm getting it from my friends now about the Jets. You don't I know. really believe they're going to have a good season, do you? It's like, well, it's part of being Jets, Mets, Knicks is you have hope to start out then you get destroyed. Totally. Uh, and the Jets thing is unbelievable. I mean, he's doing everything right. Uh, you and I live in New yeah. York. It, like he's doing it. It's almost like if I can go back to my younger self, how would I have done this? Rogers is 39. So he like can see the script before he's wiser than some of the other young quarterbacks. He's wiser than some of these other Jets rookies that have come in where he knows little gestures, Going to the Knicks game at the Garden, taking a young star like like Sauce with him, yeah. uh, going to the Rangers game, going to Taylor Swift a couple of nights, just being present, it goes such a long way to be like, I am proud, for Aaron Rodgers to be like, I am proud to be a New York Jet. It is, it, it, I mean, Jets fans are over the moon right now for just actually having a reason to be proud and excited. Well, yes, one, it would be hard, it would be very difficult not to be wiser than many of the Jets rookies who have come in. That's a very low bar. But my cynical friend points out, like, yeah, and the camera's been there every time he's done a thing. Like that. I'm like, oh, yep. okay. That's the Giants fans talking. That's what the Giants fans are saying. Like, enough. Can he go in public without having, you know, a, a million cameras around? It's hilarious. But, you know, honestly, I was against the Rodgers thing, adamantly. Talk about it. I did not. I think he got to get, you know, because I know from diva energy coming into situations, mm -hmm. like, you don't want it. See, it's a deal with the devil. You don't want to do it. They have nice chemistry in that locker room. They need a mensch. I was all I was on the car train. Uh, no, no weird pun intended there. <laughs> but I, I thought that you know that's. I think that car. I still think. I don't know how he'll do in New Orleans, but I think he was the change of scenery was, is going to really help him. And I think he was about to raise his game. And I saw nothing but misery and problems from Aaron if we even got him. Mm -hmm. You know, which was not a slam dunk at all. And uh, but now I got to say, I mean, I do admit that for one or two seasons, it's a bigger swing. There's a lower floor because so many crazy things can go wrong. But um, it is definitely a higher ceiling and he is doing all the right things. And now I'm kind of psyched to see he seems revitalized. He does. He seems psyched. You know. He went, he goes to the, I mean, he didn't go to OTAs the last few years Yeah, for the Packers. He's there, he's present. And then uh, we had a great story. Zonovan Knight, who's one of the running backs, told us a great story on Good Morning Football last week that, you know, they're in the running backs room, which is such a, you know, it's, it's only five guys and it's a running backs coach and Hackett's going through the offense and it's in a dark room and they're talking about some play and it's just the running backs. And then in the back of the room without them knowing it a voice pops in, like the voice of God. And he's like, actually, Hackett, I think we should do this, this, and this. And it was Rogers just like over listening, like the running backs room, just wanting to lend a hand to like teach the offense. And you hear that and you're like, heart melts. You're like, yes, that's what we've been waiting for. That's what, you know, my main problem with him, apart from, you know, immunization, word games and Joe Rogan appearances and just weird stuff was that like last season, 
And finally, I think you said it, and not too many people did, but I was wondering why more people didn't. It was like, the dude wouldn't get with his receivers last year. They didn't gel till week nine. They mm-hmm. probably would have made a playoff run if he bothered in the offseason. They started right? clicking later on in the year well, because he wasn't with these young guys the first, you know. Not to mention if you noticed his first game or two, which I'm sure you did, Peter. I mean, he throws to who is his good Watson? Watson. Is that the guy? Yeah. Threw him once, got kid dropped it, rolled his eyes, didn't throw him again for two weeks. Come on, what kind of what kind of parenting is this? <laughs> so um, I just hated that, you know. But it doesn't seem like he's doing that. I think he needed a change of scenery worse than Derek Carr. To no, honest. totally. And you know, Derek Carr, when they were meeting with him, I too, I said it on Good Morning Football. I said it at the combine. I'm like, he's an adult in the room. He's got four kids. He's yeah. not going to embarrass your franchise in any way. He's not going to do anything out of school. And like, he'll come and he'll be a complete professional and he'll be what the Jets probably needed at quarterback, an upgrade and an adult in the room. Rodgers was a huge home run swing. And I'm with you. At first I was like, Carr would have been enough. They have a really good team and Carr's fine. And he needed yeah. to And then you know, I'm just hearing things from the Jets coaches like they are freaking out. This guy Rogers has been unbelievable. Well, his his first press day, just the way he talks about Joe Namath, I he gets he had it. Me at hello, you know? right? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's not hard to attract the Jet fan. Like, I'm not saying that he's patronizing <laughs> yeah, or condescending, okay. but like, there are some real easy roads to go down to like attract. I want to be here as first, and then you start referencing Namath, and you talk about you know all the young talent and how good these guys are. He gets it. That's the thing. I I don't think he's playing anybody i think he's honest and genuine but he also he knows what to do in this situation and his pr game has been 10 out of 10 since he got here to the point where you know it feels like god he should have been here ages ago like right the guy was kind of made who else could step into this media market and be like yeah no i the guy makes news every time he opens his mouth anyway, so... Makes sense. Um, all right, so I'm sitting at home, and I'm watching the succession finale, and I'm all wrapped up in Tom Wobbs games and what... So no spoilers, because I'm about to binge season I'm not four. saying a word. I'm not saying a word. All right, I'm just, you know there's a character named Tom Wobbs games. That's that all, I know. That's all it is. And there's a promo for this show, The Idol, and I'm like, this looks interesting. The weekend is in it, and... I want to say Lily Rose Depp, who is Johnny Depp's daughter, is in this. I'm like, and there your head, your face pops up doing an accent. I go, what is Hank? I I love Hank Azaria. What is this show? And I haven't seen it yet. Only one episode has aired, but everyone's texting me like, have you seen The Idol yet? It's awesome. Have you seen it yet? So what is this show and what is your role on the program? I play, and it was an Israeli accent you heard. (laughs) Okay. I play a guy named Chaim, uh, who is uh, the manager of Lily Rose Depp's character named Jocelyn. Uh, kind of a, um, you know, a pop idol, a troubled pop idol, you know, of the, shall we say, maybe the Britney Spears mold. Okay. And uh, she's in the middle of a bit of a personal and professional crisis as the story picks up, gets involved with this weekend character. <laughs> uh, he's really good. He plays this, like, sicko club owner, the weekend does. Uh, does want to be yeah. producer who they strike up this pretty intense physical, emotional relationship pretty quickly. And he starts moving in on her life. And me and the team of folks who make a lot of money off her aren't too thrilled. Yeah. Um, and I actually, my character really loves her like a daughter. Found her when she was 11, performing oh, at some wow. mall in the valley and uh, took her through like the whole Disney Thing. Yep. And then she, you know, her first album went huge and 
So it's really kind of a voyeuristic window into the music industry. And Dan Levy, who we loved in Schitt's Creek, he's, I believe, the agent. What's his role in it? He's the publicist. Publicist, perfect. Yeah. And it's created by Sam Levinson, who did Euphoria, right? Sam Levinson, who does does Euphoria. Uh, Euphoria is um, an amazingly great show, but every parent's nightmare, that show. I have not seen it. And everyone's like, if you ever have a daughter, do not go down that road. Or son. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, that's why I didn't, I'd work with Sam, Sam is Barry Levinson's son, mm-hmm. legendary Barry Levinson. I worked with them a few years ago on oh, an HBO film called The Wizard of Lies starring De Niro as Bernie Madoff. The Bernie Madoff oh, thing. it was great. I remember it. It was good. And um, got along well with Sam. Then he called me about this. I was like, sure. <laughs> this sounds amazing. But I, I, I didn't even realize that Sam had done Euphoria. And then I started working with Sam and loving him. I'm trying to make a sports analogy to Sam. Um, Sam, it, he's a genuine filmmaker. Like a, okay. when there aren't too many around anymore. Writer, director with a real vision. He would be like somebody to make an NFL comparison, like in, innovating an offense, like somebody bringing in the next version of an offense. You know? Got it. I haven't been with somebody like that in a long time. And you notice it right away. You're like, because nothing's being done the way it usually is. And this is a different approach to it. And you're exactly. like, this is unique. And the results are there. Well, at first, you're like, what the hell is all this? <laughs> you know? And uh, Can I you think get, I, just give us an example? Because like Chip Kelly came in and did the spread offense. And everyone's like, that'll never work in the NFL. And it did for a little bit. But like on the set what or in a, in a movie or a show, what would be something unique to the million other directors who you've worked with? Well, the way I experienced it, Peter, was I got there and you know, I'm ready you know, you get the schedule. We got three she- scenes we're going to shoot today and you prepare them. Yeah. Be like knowing the playbook. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you get there and first thing they tell me is we're not doing those today. <laughs> like, okay. Any reason? We don't know. Welcome to the idol. Like, all yes. right. Well, um, what are we doing? <laughs> we're doing these three scenes. And the explanation that day seemed to be that Sam was shooting on film which is different than shooting digitally. And the light had changed in a way that, and we're shooting this big glass house, which happened to be the weekend's real house, but in the movie we were shooting it as if it was Jocelyn's house. He said, the light changed. He only wants to make sure those scenes are shot in a certain type of light, so we're going to switch to these other scenes. I'm like, okay. That's a very filmic reason to yeah. change. All right. So I learned those three scenes which over the next two hours, and then they change it again. Oh, my God. Like, no, we're not going to do those today. And it turned out that based on how the morning's work had went, they decided they needed another scene where they were already shooting. So they decided to go stay there. All this is um, very on the run. And, you know, it, it, here's the equivalent. It'd be like a really great in-game coach making adjustments. Just okay? this is what I see and it's what we need for the better of the team this right what, now. Yeah, that w- we, we prepared all game. week. We did our game plan, but in this moment, this is the adjustment. Yeah, but this is what we're doing today because this is what it feels like it needs. And I think I actually called the first AD, the poor guy who was in charge of wrangling yeah. this. So I think I actually called him a young man. Or young man. Uh, <laughs> what is this? What are we doing here today? And uh, he's like, yeah, no, uh, often there's audibles that are called. Huh. And so after about two days of this, I said, okay, do me a favor. Just give me the 10 or 12 scenes that are in play. 
all right, that you think we will do? Because I'm sure you can eliminate a lot. So I could prepare. Yeah. Exactly. So at least, in other words, a playbook. Like, I'll stick, I'll have a wide playbook, and then you guys tell me what we're doing, and I'll be able to adjust, no problem. And then not only that, but so he would kind of go with the creative hot hand, if you will. Love this. Not only that, but then once we started the scene, um, he would start changing it based on what we were doing, how things were working. We would, he goes, do me a favor, just improvise the scene, forget yeah. about the dialogue, and we would do that. Or we would do the scene, and then we'd improvise the next 10 minutes of what might follow the scene. So he started combining a sort of more Judd Apatow, you know, Larry David approach. I was going to say, like, it's going to bring up Curb, where they say, here's the here's the, what happens, but the dialogue, exactly. go ahead and just let it rip, right? Is that is that how this was? Yes, and, and, but it wasn't, it was more like a legendary filmmaker, Robert Altman, in that it wasn't so much to try to be funny, sometimes it was, mm-hmm. but it was more to try to get more emotionally real. Like a filmmaker named Mike Lee works this way too, okay. where, you know, you, you get to the more raw emotion of certain things if you just kind of let it fly and don't let words constrain you. And a lot of it wasn't, uh, he, he had a ton of material, so they had to edit a lot in the end. But I'd say half the performance of my own, half was scripted, half was just stuff we came up with in the moment or on the day, you know. The Apatow reference now, he says, we'll do 50 takes or something. We don't know what the final version's going to be. And then whatever felt right for Judd in the edit is what ends up in the final sequence. Now, would you guys be doing like 20 takes of this? Or it would be like Clint Eastwood, one take, or Woody Allen, one take. That's good. Let's move. More, more like it was neither. Because that's also like 20 takes starts to crush your soul so much. <laughs> one take is not enough. It was more like just extended. Like Judd will let the camera run. I have a work with Judd. I'd love to. I, I did a movie that he produced that was short of sought in a similar way. But... Um, it was more like extended. We never really heard cut. We just would yep. kind of keep going. And then sometimes, you know, it was like a true good coach. Like Lily and I, a lot of our scenes were exactly as written. We're, you know what I mean? We just, it was written well. It seemed to work. We got it fast. Bang. You mm-hmm. know, some other scenes, there were a lot of actual music industry people in this. So for them, acting wasn't. It's more accuracy and consulting. And yes. like uh, yeah. So Sam would say, well, don't worry about the words. Just say what you really say there. Cool. You know, forget even about the script. Just what would you really do in this circumstance? And so the professional actors on the set, not that they weren't pros, but you know what I mean? The more experienced yeah. actors would have to sort of roll with whatever they were doing. So I loved it on, on that from that standpoint. Not to mention, Peter, but then after a while, cumulatively, Another sports analogy, right? So great coaches, they take their actual player, they they chuck their game plan after a while and go with the strengths of their players. And that's what Sam started doing a lot too. It's like, you seem to, I started playing it a different way than he expected. So he started writing to that. That's cool. Changing things, you know, and he did that for everybody's character. Um, Even the weekend, I don't want to give away too much, but the original vision for the thing it turned into something else given on how the weekend was doing with it and very profoundly, you know, so it was really fun and creative. I hadn't worked that way on a set that creative since I worked with Mike Nichols, you know, on the bird Wow. Games. Yeah. <laughs> How's the reception been so far? And have you been happy with what you've heard from people who've watched the episode so far? Well, we had a lot of negative press leading up because Cause of, of the, because of what, the way it was made or what? The topic. Well, there was there was an article in Rolling Stone that what I described 
accurately just now as the creative yeah. nature of the set, you know, got called chaotic and dysfunctional. And I made a point at the press conference in Cannes of saying, no, no, no. I've been on sets that were chaotic <laughs> and dysfunctional. This wasn't that. I've been on bad teams, okay? <laughs> this wasn't that. And it was the opposite of that. This sexual, I, you know, gratefully for everyone involved, I'm not involved. I wasn't involved in the sexual uh, shenanigans in the show. Yeah. That's for the young folks. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I can't really speak to it. I just know that Lily was very, very comfortable with everything she had to do, felt very collaborated with, as I did on anything I was doing. And um, Sam's work is very much that way. You know, Euphoria yeah. really pushes it. So does this. It might not be everybody's cup of tea, I get that, but I don't think you can deny the the filmmaking and the compelling story that it's, and the great characters and stuff. I haven't seen Euphoria, which makes it sound like I'm talking out of my, you know what, but it's, it's the most streamed show I think HBO has ever had. And it's also one of the rare shows that has, you know, attracted the younger audience where they're not just watching YouTube clips all day. They actually watch this show, love this show. And what might not be digestible for a certain generation might be something that is actually being craved and not satisfied in entertainment. And this is what might be he providing, you know, that's, it's a different audience necessarily than what the same audience has been watching TV for 60 years. That's exactly right. I've talked to Sam at length about this because I got kind of morbidly fascinated with Euphoria after the fact. Uh-huh. Then I watched it and sure enough, especially the first two episodes as a parent, it's like, they're great, but they're great the way watching a horror movie is great. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, what am I seeing? It, it, it's terrifying, but very compelling. And then it settles in. It's just really good storytelling and filmmaking. And it's very good. And then I'm like, well, what am I really going to care about a, ostensibly a teen drama? You know, those days are way gone for me. But yeah, yeah. it totally transcends. The characters are so good. The story of Zendaya's journey into sobriety is the most realistic depiction of that I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's just gripping. And, you know, Sam said he purposely... He's a young, he's not a teenager, but he's a young guy yeah. himself. He was yeah. hyper aware that his audience, as you just said, as you said, a YouTube clip is like a feature film to them. It's long, I mean, yeah. So he was like, I can't. He purposely designed it so as not to let young attention spans waver. Things like no establishing shots. Kids shut down and start looking at their phone <laughs> if you show an establishing shot. It's interesting. He was hyper aware of. Um, as few cuts as possible and as uh, not letting the attention span go away. I um, mean, he designed it uh, that way and it apparently worked. <laughs> you go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You've been in so many great films, so many shows, and yet... I think everyone has a different entry point for Hank Azaria. So I ask you, you know, we live in New York where it's not everyone stopping you on the street every two seconds, but when you do get stopped, is it a Simpsons voice? Is it Friends? Is it Birdcage? Is it uh, another film? Like, what do you feel like is the thing that you're getting the most these days as far as uh, Brockmire? Like, what, what is it that people are stopping you and saying, hey, love your work in X? Some of it depends on where I am. I can sort of tell 
by the demographic of the person, what they're likely to say. If I'm at the Mets game, I'm going to hear a lot of Brockmeyer. Yep. You know, most of all, it's Birdcage. Okay. Uh, young folks are very friends obsessed. A new Isn't that interesting? It's had the second life of like, totally, it's just a third, it's a number one life. show. You're right. Every 11 year old discovers friends, you know, uh, since the show's been on. So I get a lot of that. And a lot of uh, uh, folks from foreign countries are friends obsessed as well. Interesting. But I get, you know, I'd say probably the most of Burke. And then I've been around so long now that I really never know. I get weird, like, really? You liked Herman's Head? Okay. Yeah, I love Herman's Head. Fox, let's go. Yeah, early days of Fox. I, I, you know, so I never totally know. You know what I get more than anything else, Peter, is people know me, but they don't know from where. You know? Oh, is that the worst though? Why do I know you? Yeah. Is that the worst question? In an airport, I get people coming to me, why do I know you? I have I very know. good pat answers for it. What do you say? I get a lot of you. I know you're an actor. I don't know your name. So yeah, I say, thanks. I, I say I, well, I, I, I say, <laughs> I'm George Clooney. I just look really ugly in person. <laughs> Uh, I was reading, you know, I do my research before any of these things, but I'm fascinated with like your career because it's got such depth and so many different roles. Before Simpsons, I mean, there was, a, what was it? Hollywood Dog was the show? What was the show that oh, you Oh, you are good. Tell yeah. me, tell me how, what your entry point to The Simpsons was and whatever happened to that show? Well, that never even made it to air. So what was it? Early Days of Fox, as you said. Remember the show, the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins and Zemeckis. Um, So animated rabbit, live action people. That got popular. Fox decided to try one of those. They did a pilot of a show called Hollywood Dog based on a a comic strip that was popular at the time. It was called Hollywood Dog and it'd be like in your Sunday paper? Okay. I guess. (laughs) I Um, I love this. I did the voice of the dog. Why they talk like this? Hey, how you doing? It's Hollywood dog. I love already Hollywood dog. And uh, that back then, back in the old days, Peter, they made every network, even Fox, made like hundred pilots, and they picked pilot seasoned. Yes, so everybody worked pilot. Everyone loved pilot season because almost every actor worked, Uh, but only ten or fifteen of them made it to air out of like. 50 to 80 they made. Hollywood Dog was one of them. So not long after that, I got a call from uh, head of casting The Simpsons, a woman named Bonnie Piatula, who worked on the show for years but has stopped. And um, knew me from that just through Fox. And it was like almost an open call. It was an open call, but it did, I didn't have a voiceover agent. It just came through my regular agent. Wow. And I walked over one day to Fox and... Sam Simon and uh, Matt Groening were in the room, uh-huh. and uh, Sam has passed away since, but he and Matt and Jim Brooks were the original creators. And uh, I was doing a play in Hollywood at the time. I was playing a drug dealer in this play, and I was doing an impression, a vocal impression of Pacino from Dog Day Afternoon in that play. Yes. So I was sort of talking like this. That's sort of an early Al Pacino. I hear Mo already. Well, yeah, it is. So I did that. And they were like, well, we want it to be gravelly. So you take young Al Pacino and you make it gravelly. And you get Mo the bartender. And they said, great. Can you come record this? I'm like, now? I never had that happen. Like, you get the job in the room and then you do it. 
I realize now they probably they probably had like eight guys do that that day, and then they just kept the one they liked. So even when I thought I had the job, I probably didn't. But I guess they like what I did. And then each week I'd come back and do another voice or two. I'd like wig them the next week and on and on. And uh, after about a year of that, they made me uh, a regular. You know what I found out years later, Pierre? This, yeah. How about this for craziness? So apparently there was an original Mo the Bart. They were replacement casting at that point. They had had a Mo the Bartender. And then I was like, oh, wow, really? And then years after I found that out, I think Matt Groening and I were doing some like we were being judges on some food network food show, right? Okay. Chopped, one of these things. Yeah. So one of those. Not, it wasn't chopped, but it was some. <laughs> I said, you know, Matt, why did you fire that? What, what didn't you like about the, the voice work of that original Mo? And he said, oh, we thought he was great. We liked him a lot. I said, well, then what did you fire him for? He said, the guy was just kind of a jerk. Hmm. just uh what a lesson right oh my god so the guy the poor guy he's since passed away i think can you imagine the rest of his life well that's what i mean the guy was like the pete best of the simpsons you know what i mean and it's like dude don't that's terrible i felt really bad actually yeah and he was probably in his 20s young guy like you know and live with that the rest of his life that's heartbreaking he was a, a really established voiceover guy and Jim Brooks, talk about takes in the early days of The Simpsons and Jim Brooks, of everything he does, he likes to do take after take. He really mm-hmm. tries to get it right. And I think the guy didn't like it and sort of snapped at them all one day. When I was a kid, and I'm not trying to date you, obviously, you know, Simpsons have been going on for I'm 34 old, it's years. Fine. Yeah, not even you're old, but it's just Simpsons. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not dating you if I say I grew up watching The Simpsons. I think everyone grew up watching The Simpsons. But I remember like being a craze like, I mean, I know now you could say, oh, well, no, this is bigger now. Or American Idol was a bigger craze in the 2000s. But like every kid had the T-shirt. I wasn't allowed to wear the T-shirt in school. It was banned to have Bart Simpson in school. <laughs> Can you believe at the time when Bart Simpson was considered edgy? Think about that now. Because it's, you know why? Because it said, eat my shorts. And yeah, it was like, you can't. Can't have it. You know, cowabunga. <laughs> you can't have it. Um, did you guys feel it? Like... It was the biggest, it was on the cover. He was on the, I think Bart Simpson was on the cover of Time and Newsweek at the same time, like like a Springsteen-like celebrity. But like, did you feel that when you were f- recording those first episodes that this thing could be what it, forget what it's become, but that first year, what a sensation it was? Yes and no. It, no in that Fox itself was two years old. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was Married with Children, you guys. Herman's Head. Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman. And a few other things. Cops. Cops, for sure. Cops was a huge hit for them. Mm-hmm. And that was the first, you know, new network. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC, and PBS, and whatever couple of local channels you had. And that was it, children. That was it. <laughs> and um, so a new network, you were like, you kidding? That's not going to last. So you didn't even know if the network was going to survive, let alone an animated primetime show on the network. I mean, that said, James L. Brooks at that point was a legend, a legend, yeah. deservedly so. I mean, the yeah. guy was arguably the greatest. I mean, I don't know if anybody before or since has had that kind of success in TV and film at the same time, you know, winning Emmys and Oscars at the same time and doing it himself, like the real deal, writing it all and and uh, creating it all. And, and um, so the fact that Jim Brooks was standing there 
to my 22-year-old self, which is how old when I started doing it. 22, was, really? Yeah, when I first auditioned. Dude. was wow. um, impressive. And, you know, back then, I take it for granted. Now, now again, I don't, you know, my finger is hardly on the pulse beat of pop uh -huh. culture and comedy anymore. But then it was without my even realizing it. There was less to track back then. But um, I had a strong sense just from a, a youthful comedic standpoint that this thing was pretty special. And then I remember there was an LA film festival and they showed the shorts of the Simpsons in it. And the audience went crazy. Really? Crazy. Before even they were in the Tracy Ullman show, they were showing them at this festival? And they were cold from the Tracy Ullman shows before we premiered as a half hour show. But and the audience went nuts. Yeah, my peers, my, my for, I, it just struck a chord with us youngsters. I don't know exactly why. I mean, my friend, I mean, we were in, I guess, middle school. We would, I mean, and then they would air in syndication. We would memorize lines. You could put on a Simpsons episode for the first 10 seasons. I could tell you every line of every episode. And that was kind of the norm. That's what we did. You know, yes. And I had equivalent, you know, I grew up worshiping Bugs Bunny and all the Warner Brothers cartoons. And then, you know, there were certain shows that, uh, meant everything to me, you know, when I was growing up, like happy days and yeah. all in the family early days that, and Jim, but you know, Mary Tyler Moore and even into my early 20, like I grew up as a teen on, on family ties. Yeah. So I know, I do know well what it's like to have a show mean a, a lot. And I'm thrilled that, you know, both from an animation standpoint and just a iconic standpoint that to pass, to be able to be a part of passing that tradition along. Awesome. We're going to wrap it here. Um, as we record on this June day, if I ask you in six months, what's the ideal situation for your New York Jets as we close, um, paint the picture for me. You're, it's a winter day. You got your 14-year-old son. Are we headed towards a playoff game? Or what, what are we thinking is actually, you know, what would you be happy with if you could sign up for it right now? Well, I mean, the ceiling <laughs> is an obvious answer. But I mean, I saw the interesting article today, Peter, that the projections are like all over the board for the all Jets. over the, yeah. the sports books have no consistency and like everywhere from eight wins to 14 wins. I even see a, I saw a four win projection. Mm -hmm. Um, they seem to be averaging out at like 8.6 or something weird like it's that. It's about what they did last year with Zach Wilson and Streveler. Yeah. I, right. That I think I even heard you talking about how much a defense can fluctuate year to year and their, their schedule is a lot harder this year mm -hmm. than it was last and year. AFC is loaded. But in a way you look at it like, well, they're, they're going to have to beat those teams if they're yeah. going to win. So let's, let's find out to me, honestly, like I'll, I answer this from a Brett Favre perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. Guy came, we were all excited in a similar fashion. He went eight and three. Yep. Hurt his freaking shoulder and they lost, the rest of the games except for one, and they missed the playoffs. The next year, he took the freaking Vikings to the NFC right to Championship. The NFC, a couple of plays away from the Super Bowl. And because obviously he just wanted to do that. I mean, it's hard not to think about what if he just stayed a Jet for that second year. So to me, honestly, especially because I'm at being Jets, Mets, Knicks, I'm so, I have such PTSD that if yeah. the team just really plays well, and is competitive. I, I think if they don't make the playoffs, I'll be genuinely disappointed. Disappointed. Yeah. But um, if they're really competitive and 
make any version of a run, I'll be very, very happy. And if it looks like Aaron would come back one more year and try it again, I, I'd be thrilled with that. But I, I, don't, I don't dare hope beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you're, you're too seasoned as a fan to, to start you know, planning a parade down Broadway. And yet, oh, God, yeah. and yet so many are. Uh, well, you imagine it. You can't. Of course. I mean, when the Knicks beat... When the Knicks beat the Cavaliers, I just could not help imagining. I know a Knicks Lakers final, or like a nationally televised Eastern Conference final. Forget that. Like I was in the same boat, you know, obviously. And it's like, wow, what if we're hosting at the Garden, like the Eastern Conference final? Like what? Like it's insane. I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, you're a good man. Thanks for going long here. Uh, Appreciate it. You're in the idol on HBO. I've got this. I feel so ridiculous. I've got my home set up. If you're listening on audio and my one lone sports Emmy is behind me, I'm talking to Hank, who's probably got 600 and he doesn't yeah. have any behind Let me him. just tilt the camera up here. <laughs> there they <Whoa>. are. <laughs> Bobbleheads and Emmys. That's so good. I felt, so, I felt like such a loser. I've got one. For, I'm like, no, well, it's, a nice, it's a nice starter Emmy, Peter. It's a nice starter Emmy. We'll get there. Uh, Hank Azaria, such a fan of yours from TV. And also, I also think you're the best guest on Eisen. You're the best guest on Dan Levitard. I think you're a tremendous voice in the sports media world, too. Jim Brockmeyer has returned to the Levitard show. Check us <laughs> Is out. Is he coming Pretty back? Oh, he's been, I've been back the last couple of weeks. So okay, so we can not, get Not the formal podcast, but I do a segment of Dan pretty much every week, usually on Thursdays. So good. You're great with those guys. Hank, thanks so much for joining this podcast. Thanks, Peter. Aaron, how good was Hank Azaria? Hearing him do the voices, like, while we were, it was, it was, I, know. I mean, I, it was wild. I didn't know how far to go with that. I was tempted to be like, all right, do Wiggum. Do exactly. Wiggum yeah, calling yeah. a play. Do Wiggum commenting. And then I'm like, all right, he's right. not a yeah. circus clown, you know? I haven't seen The Idol. I kind of want to see it now. I haven't seen Euphoria, though. Do you watch Euphoria? I don't. You know, I... Maybe we should. For some reason, I'm not up on all the HBO shows. Okay. Everyone says it's incredibly uncomfortable yeah. and unsettling, yeah. but like awesome TV. I don't know if I need uncomfortable and unsettling in my I life. did love him talking about like... <laughs> It's catered to the younger audience, so there is no establishing shots. There, yeah, no, no theme cuts. song. Like, it just go, <laughs> it, it keeps you in there. Yeah, so I think that's fascinating. Um, I haven't seen it. Die Hard, Jets, Mets, Knicks. That's a tortured trio right there. Uh, I mean, at least it's Knicks, not Nets, right? I mean, Jets, Mets, Nets would be harder. I mean, that doesn't fit. I guess you know with. Jets and Mets are typically, if you're like not from New York, that's there's like a queen side of that where it's one was in, they both played in Shea Stadium and they both were like kind of created at the same time in the 60s. And if you weren't a traditional Giants and Yankees fan who have been around for much longer, you're like, this are my teams. These are new, they're fun. And yet they have the same tortured history. Of course, they both won championships. You know, the Mets have won in 86 and 69, the Jets won in 68. Um, but gosh, it's been a long, long time and Hank lives it. And I have so many friends who have that combo of Knicks, Jets, Mets, and it's just a miserable existence when it comes to post postseason success over the last 30 years. And I feel like they haven't, I don't know baseball well enough, but Jets at least, that a lot of excitement last season, but not nothing that compares quite to like bing bong for the Knicks. Like the, the Jets, the Knicks, that's so the Knicks yeah. was such a sensation. Yeah. That's one playoff game, the bing bong thing. All right. I love this episode. I hope you're listening at home. We're going to try to keep on bringing on good entertainment 
style guests. And then we're going to sprinkle in some coaches and some GMs over the next few weeks, but the podcast will be rocking and rolling. Um, on behalf of the great Aaron Wong Kaufman, on behalf of my dear buddy, Jason English at iHeart, on behalf of all the crew in LA who worked for NFL Network and helped put this together, the uh, Jason Kleinman and Matt Schneider and Meredith Batten and David Jaranka and that crew. And then on behalf of the awesome guests, Hank Azaria brought it. He was tremendous. Last week, David Cross brought it. Like, I want to be different with this thing. Hopefully you're just finding it or you're listening every week, but you'll see it's a different kind of podcast than the other football podcasts. Um, we're trying to be a little bit more broader and show some different lanes and try to bring in some entertainment guests who have a love for football and can speak it as Hank so eloquently did about the New York Jets and He's right. I, I think every Jets fan is bracing themselves and trying not to get too far in advance, but it's hard not to be optimistic. I mean, I, I don't have optimism for the Jets personally, but you. yeah, you're, no. you're a Bills fan. I hear you. No. Um, all right. Till next week, guys. This is the season with Peter Schrager. Love doing it. And uh, go support Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Donate a dollar if you can. Uh, amazing organization. I'm still kind of relishing in all that we did this week uh, for that org and the big slick weekend. Till next week, guys. Thank you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.